Hey guys, good morning. Happy New Year. You guys doing well? Thought out yet? The walk inside. I looked at my phone this morning, it was two degrees. Oh my God, at least it's not negative two, right? But on the right side, it's going to be 15 degrees by noon, so we have that to look forward to. Anyway, hey, glad that you guys are here this morning. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Um, I have a question for you as we get started here this morning. You ever find yourself in a situation where uh, you feel out of place? Like you just, you just feel like you don't quite fit in, you know? And, and maybe it's, you know, a more permanent situation, like it's our family and we're like, man, I just am different than everybody else or... You know, maybe it's at school and with my group of friends or it's at work or it's our neighborhood or whatever it is. But you're like, man, I am just like, I feel like a fish out of water. I feel, I feel out of place here. I remember um, feeling that way a couple years ago. I went to Haiti. I'd never been to Haiti before. And I went on a, on a trip with Haiti, to, to Haiti with a couple friends. And um, I remember the moment I got, I got off the airplane into the airport going, wow, this is really different. I went, I went to, the, to the restroom. You don't need to know that part, but I went, I went, to, I went to the restroom and the men's restroom and there was a woman doing her hair in the mirror. And I'm like, this is not like at home, you know? I guess I'll use the stall. This, no, anyway. And, and then, you know, you come out and you, you like hear people talk and the language that people use. And I don't speak Creole, you know, it sounds so different to me. And you see the customs and, you know, the food that people eat and the clothes that people wear. And you're like, I'm not used to this. The things people do for fun. You know, my 11-year-old my son, for fun, will go play basketball or, or play Xbox. There was, in the village we were in, there was a little kid who his, his fun was, I don't know if you ever remember seeing pictures of this. It's like, it looks like, like a hula hoop, a wheel and a stick. And you make the wheel go and, like, that's, that's what they did. And it's like, this is... This is really different than everything that I'm used to. And as a Christian, you know, you go in, if, if you've ever been to Haiti, Haiti is not predominantly Christian. Voodoo is the, the main religion there, I guess. And, uh, you know, you go into the village and the witch doctor is the most important person in the village. And you're like, this is, this is just very different, right? Let me ask you another question. How do you, when you find yourself in a situation like that, where you're like, I'm, I'm a little bit out of place, I don't really fit in with everybody else, how do you respond in that situation? Like, let's assume you can't just leave and put yourself in a more comfortable situation. But when you're there and you don't quite fit in, how do you respond? I, I, think, I think we only have two options. One is we assimilate. Right? Like we, we kind of become like the environment that we're in. We, we fit in. We, we become like them. We conform. We embrace it. Right? That's one option. The other option, I think the only other option, is we reject it. And we go, nope. I am not going to fit in. I am not going to be this way. I am going to be me and I'm not going to change at all. Right? I think that's our only two options. I remember when I was in high school. There is a, a band that was popular. You Gen Xers will know this band, Pearl Jam. Young people are like, no, that's old person music. Pearl Jam was really popular, and they had a song. I never say the title right. It's the best title of a song ever. Elderly woman behind the counter of a drugstore or something like that, convenience store. It's like the best title because no one can remember it. But there, my favorite line in the song was, uh, I changed by not changing at all. 
I change by not changing at all. And I remember as a high schooler being like, like graduating from high school, going into college, singing that song going, yeah, that's going to be me. I'm going to be who I am. I'm not, I see all these other people changing when they go to college. You change when you become adult. I'm going to change by not changing at all. I'm going to stay, me and Pearl Jam, we're going to stay true to who we are, right? Like that was my train of thought with that. I'm not going to assimilate and become somebody else. And I think many of us can think that way in our minds. You know, maybe it's kind of an American thing, you know, or nonconformist. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be who I am. Maybe especially when we're younger, but we think nothing's going to change me. And then years later, months go by, you know, years go by, and you look back and you're like, I don't I don't feel like I've changed. I feel like I'm the same person. But you think back, like I think back to what I was like in high school, and I'm like, I'm a really different person, you know? I believe different things back then. I valued different things back then. I did different things back then. This kid who was going to change by not changing at all had changed an awful lot. And I'll bet if you think about it, you have too, right? And, and change isn't always a bad thing. Like sometimes when we change, it's actually a really good thing. It's we, we can change for the better. And then other times when we change, it can be for the worse. I've been real excited to, um, for today to start this series that uh, we're going to kick off today on the book of Daniel. And so um, we don't, some of our series, you know, we kind of talk about um, practical stuff in life. We always use this, you know, we always dig into the Bible. Sometimes it's a little bit more topical in nature. And sometimes we dig into a particular book of the Bible. And over these next couple months, we're gonna dig into this book of the Bible. And the book of Daniel is really an interesting book. So it's written by a guy named Daniel, which kind of makes sense, right? But he was somebody who was taken from everything that he knew like his family, his country, his culture, his religion, like everything that he was used to, he was taken and he was put in a place where he did not fit in, a place that was really, really different. Everything was different for him and the God that he loved and worshiped where he was at had no value to anybody in this new place. Daniel and three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken to this foreign country called Babylon as captives to live there. They were, they were forcibly put there by this violent, brutal people. If you've ever uh, been interested in Babylon, you should Google them. It is, they are notoriously violent and brutal in their, in their regime, in their time. They're taken to this foreign country by them, and yet God was a part of it. It was actually by the will of God. And as they're there, Daniel and his friends had a decision to make. So they're in a place where they don't fit. What do they do? Do they assimilate? And do they become like the people that they are now a part of? Or do they remain the same? Or do they, with wisdom, try to find a way to do both? This is what we're going to dig into over the next couple months, and I'm really, really excited about it. We're going to start right now. So grab a Bible, flip it open to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. So we've got church Bibles in the back. Maybe one of you grabbed those when you came in. 719 there. Um, also in the app. By the way, on that app that Josiah was talking about, so there's a little Bible tab on there. At the beginning, this is helpful. I just found this out yesterday. Seems like I should know this. But at the beginning of it, of each of the books, it gives a little bit of an introduction to the book and kind of some context to it that's helpful. Um, so maybe you want to follow along that way. 
as well. So here's the plan with this series. Let me just kind of give you what, what I'm thinking right now. So the book of Daniel is uh, a unique book. It's 12 chapters long, okay? And the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are stories of Daniel and his friends and things that they went through in this new foreign oppressive country and things that God did in them and through them during that time. And then the last six chapters of the book of Daniel are about these visions and prophecies that God gave to Daniel that talk about the future, that talk about really the end times. And so our plan with this series is the first six chapters we're gonna spend six weeks going through. And so the, the plan right now is one chapter per week. Okay? And what that does is it gives us a chance, um, again, this is a little bit different for us than, than what we've done for the last couple series, it gives us a chance to dig in together as a church family and read this book together. And so that's, I want to lay down the challenge for you guys um, over at least these first six weeks to read the book of Daniel with us. And so next week we're going to talk about chapter two. This week sometime, take the five, ten minutes and read chapter two of Daniel and allow that to kind of stew on your heart, allow God's spirit to begin to work that into your spirit so that when we get together, it'll make the most of our time together. That makes sense? The seventh week of the series, we're gonna do it a little bit different. We're gonna, some of the prophecies um, have a lot of parallelism and so we're gonna kind of tackle that together, okay? Um, as we've been preparing for this series, you know, you do a lot of reading and stuff. One of the books that I found that I thought was really, really helpful, go to the next slide, is uh, called Christ-Centered Exposition. So this is um, a series, and it's the Daniel part. And it's Exalting Jesus and Daniel. It's written by a guy named Daniel Aiken, another guy named Daniel, Daniel Aiken, who uh, is a pastor and theologian. And I, I really like this because um, it's, it's accessible to us. So it's not, some books that you read, like uh, theological books, can be very scholarly and use big words that are kind of hard to understand. This is, he's simple, but it's some really profound stuff. And what he does that I think is so good in this, um, I'll talk about more than in a second, but the old, Daniel's in the Old Testament. Daniel lived about 600 years before Jesus. We live after Jesus came and lived and died, right? And what this guy does well is he talks about Daniel and his life and he applies it to us and what it looks like for us to live and to learn from Daniel as followers of Jesus. So I'd encourage you, if you're interested in digging in a little bit more, um, this would be a good book for you to check out. Let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Let me give you a little bit of background um, on the book of Daniel, because the context of all of this is really important, okay? So let's, let's start off kind of basic first. Some of you, this will be a review. Some of you, this will be new. Um, our Bible right here has got two parts to it, right? We have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. The New Testament really picks up with the life of Jesus. God the Son becomes human being. He becomes flesh and blood, right? And so the New Testament tells about Jesus and it tells about his life and it tells about his death and it's rising again and it tells about the early church. That's what the New Testament is about. The Old Testament, where the book of Daniel is, is a little bit different. It's all before Jesus. And so it tells about creation and it tells about the ancient world and it tells about how God is chasing after people chasing after people, chasing after people because he loves them and he wants to have a relationship with them. And then the Old Testament specifically focuses on one very unique relationship that God has with a specific group of people called the Israelites or the Jewish people. And so this is, this is kind of what the Old Testament is about. There's some parts in there about the law and kind of how we live and all of that stuff as well. So by the time we get to Daniel, Daniel's in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel has really rejected God over and over and over again. If you read the Old Testament, 
it's in some ways it's kind of depressing because you see this cycle right so the israelites are they follow god and they're trusting him and god is with them and they're in life is good and then they sort of drift away from him and they start to reject him and they start to follow all of these other things and then life gets really hard and they cry out god save us save us and god does he's faithful and then they follow god for a little bit longer and then they drift away over and over again that's the cycle you see in the old testament over and over again so by the time we get to daniel Israel is like, they're in rejection. They're in rebellion against God. And so God sends prophets to them saying, come back to me. Come follow me. Calls them back. He tells them he loves them. And he makes it clear to them that if they continue in their rebellion, then there's going to be consequences. If they keep rejecting him, then eventually God will say, okay, go your own way. And he'll remove his hand of protection from them and he'll allow some of these other nations to come in and conquer them and destroy them. So what does Israel do? They ignore God. They don't care. They continue in their rebellion. Part of the north, so by the time we get to Daniel, the Israel used to be, originally it was one big nation. And then it broke in two and you had a northern kingdom and you had a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel they were conquered years before Daniel by a, the world power at the time named Assyria. Assyria had already demolished them, right? And so by the time Daniel writes, God you know, has, has made it clear, this is the results of your rebellion. They don't care. And so what he does is he allows this other powerful, brutal nation called Babylon to come in and conquer Israel. Babylon, by the way, is present-day Iraq, which, again, it's just interesting to me like when you think about these countries in the Middle East and the turmoil that we look at right now and we see going on, we go, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. It's been going on for years and years, like millennia. Crazy. Okay, so when Babylon comes in and conquers Judah, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom is already wiped out. They conquer the rest of Israel. They do it in three waves. Give me two more minutes for history, and then we'll move on, okay? But they do it in three waves. The first wave starts in 605 BC. This is when Daniel and his friends are taken, okay? So in 605, they come in, and they basically destroy a lot of Israel, and they take the, uh, some of the royal family and the nobility, so the really important people, they gather them up, and they take them into exile into Babylon, okay? About eight years later, in 597 BC, there's this second wave. They come in again, they destroy more stuff, and they take a bunch more captives, and they bring them in. Actually, that's when a, a guy named Ezekiel, who write, who's another prophet, who writes in the Old Testament as well, he's taken during that second wave. And then in 586, nine years later, it all sort of ends. And, and they uh, come in one last time, they destroy Jerusalem, which is the capital city, they level it, and they level the temple which was the most important building in all of Israel. And so the king at that time, the king of Babylon, was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was um, known as a brutal, violent, oppressive king. The Babylonians loved him, right, because he was very successful. He conquered all of these places. He had these amazing building programs in Babylon. But to other people, he was a terrible, terrible person. It's interesting. So you, we've, we've probably all heard of Saddam Hussein, right? So we said Babylon is present-day Iraq, right? Saddam Hussein used to be the president of Iraq, you know, however long ago before uh, he was killed. His hero was Nebuchadnezzar. 
So it kind of tells you a little bit about him. The guy in Zach, he, he kind of saw himself as a second Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And so Nebuchadnezzar was the king when all this stuff was happening in Israel, when Babylon comes in and they grab Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So a little history, okay? Let me, a couple other things. Let me give you like a 30,000-foot view of the book of Daniel just to keep in mind as we dig into this. We can be tempted when we read Daniel to look at uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go, man, they are, like, they are like pillars of the faith. They are strong and brave, amazing people, and we can almost idolize them or heroize them. They are not the heroes of the book of Daniel. I need to be clear with this. The hero of the book of Daniel is God. God is the hero of the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends do amazing things committed to God, but God is the one who orchestrates all of this. God is the one who does the miraculous things in it. So we need to be clear with that. I like how the guy that wrote that commentary that I was telling you, Daniel Aiken, I like how he says it. He says, the theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God, the power, the authority of God in all things. He's sovereign over the big things like international powers. He's sovereign over small things like the apparently insignificant lives of teenagers. He's sovereign over history. He's sovereign concerning the future. Our God is sovereign. God is the hero of the book of Daniel. Really important to keep that in mind. Another theologian, New Testament scholar named Robert Stein, I like how he sums it up. He says, the, the big, he does it really simply. I like simple things. He says, the big idea of the book of Daniel is God wins. God wins, right? And so Babylon is a big, powerful country. Nebuchadnezzar is a big, powerful thing big powerful king but in the end God is the most powerful and it's God who wins so God is the hero of the book of Daniel and God wins that's 30,000 foot view of Daniel okay so we're going to jump into the first chapter here in a second but I want to say this so we when we teach from the Bible each week we don't do it so that you know like just with we learn what the Bible says you know, so we can walk out and we go, now I have more information in my head, I have more knowledge, and I can go out and impress my friends with how much I know about Daniel. That's not why we do this. But we do it so we learn it so that then we can apply it to our lives and take what we learn. It, it never ceases to amaze me that like what we're going to look at in Daniel 2,600 years ago in a completely different part of the world, a completely different time in history, and yet there is so much that we can learn from Daniel today for our lives. It's incredible the parallelisms with what he experienced in Babylon and what we experienced here. So here's my challenge to you. Take what we learn here and say, what difference does this make in my life today? What, what difference does it make with me living in 21st century Northeast Ohio? What, does, what do I learn about God from Daniel that makes a difference in my life today? What do I learn about following God from Daniel that makes a difference in my life today? Does that make sense? You guys got to do the hard work. I'll help, I promise. But you guys got to do the hard work of taking the information and thinking about it and applying it to our lives and our hearts. Will you do that? Shake your head. Thank you. Okay, so let's look at it. So uh, Daniel chapter one, hopefully you're there. This is what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He took it over. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand 
along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Okay, let's stop right there. So as I read that, there's a couple things that jump out to me that I think we need to, we need to talk about, we need to be clear on. The first one is at the beginning. I don't know if you caught this. The beginning of verse 2, it says, The Lord delivered King Jehoiakim and Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And so think about that. So life is going to be hard for the Israelites, for the, for the Jews that were still there. Life is going to be really, really challenging. But it's God who allowed it. Right? As powerful as Babylon was, as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was, they came in, they destroyed, they took all of these captives. Ultimately, it wasn't because of Babylon's strength that Daniel and his friends were captured. It was because of God's strength. It was because of God's plan. And I think about that, like God allowed that to happen. I think about that, and I think about our lives and I think sometimes when we're put in a hard situation like they were, we can go, God must not be a part of this, or God doesn't care, or we could blame God instead of going, maybe God's a part of this. So God was with, we'll see as we dig into this first chapter, God was with Daniel and his friends all throughout their time in this oppressive, uncomfortable situation. And the reality is, God is with us as well if we want him to be and the oppressive, hard situations that we might find ourselves in. That's the first thing that jumped out to me. God's a part of this. This isn't beyond God because of Babylon's strength. God's a part of it. The second thing that jumps out to me is this is how Babylon operated. This is what they did very successfully. When they conquered a group of people, they didn't just slaughter everybody. They slaughtered a lot of people, but they didn't just slaughter everybody. What they would do is they would come in and they would take the very best, the very brightest. They took the, you know, these kids from the nobility, from the royal line, they brought them over to Babylon and they taught them how to be Babylonians. They transformed them into Babylonians. And then what they did was they allowed them to help lead the nation. It's fascinating. It was very effective for them. This is the training program that they found themselves in. And so as we'll see, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were part of this training program. Look at verse six. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Okay, stop right there. So Daniel and his friends, like let's take, take a step back. They're from the royal family, right? They were part of, apparently part of the nobility or the royal family, something there. And they were found to be intelligent men, sharp, intelligent, handsome. So they would have likely been 14, 15 years old. 
at this time. So old enough that they weren't like little kids in diapers, but still young enough that they could be molded and they could be transformed and they could become Babylonians. And the first thing that the chief official, the first thing that this guy Ashpenaz does is he changes their name which is easy to kind of just gloss right over, but that's a really interesting thing. So it's the theologians, and they read that, they read these new names that they gave these, these kids, these Babylonian names. There's not consensus on what these names specifically mean. So a lot of times when we read names in the Old Testament, they meant something, right? And so it's not sure exactly what these names mean, but they were sure that all of them had something to do with glorifying the Babylonian gods. Right? So one of the gods uh, was Marduk. That was one of the Babylonian gods. So one of their names, Belteshazzar, may mean uh, Marduk is awesome or something like that. Right? But they don't, we don't know exactly what they mean, but we know all of these new names are about glorifying the Babylonian gods. Why that's so interesting is what their old names meant. Go to that next slide. Daniel means Elohim is my judge. Elohim is another name for God. It's a Hebrew word for God. God is my judge. He changes their name to Belteshazzar. Marduk is awesome, or whatever it means, right? Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is another name for God. It's the proper, the, uh, proper name for God, the Hebrew proper name for God. Changes his name to Shadrach, something about the Babylonian gods. Mishael means who is like Elohim. Changes his name to Meshach, something about the Babylonian gods. Azariah means Yahweh helps, changes his name to Abednego. Why do you think they did that? Like, think about it. Why do, why do you think that's the first thing that they did? Well, boys, you're not in Israel anymore. You're in Babylon now. In Babylon, we do things a little bit differently. That little puny God that you used to worship, no more. Our gods are much better. Our gods are much stronger. Look, we just conquered you guys, right? You're not in Babylon. Your names will no longer be about your old, weak gods. Now your names will all be about honoring the Babylonian gods. One of the, one of the books that I read, in fact, I think it was the book that, uh, that I suggested to you, the way that they described the Babylonian training program is, go to, go to the next slide, this is what they did. They would isolate them. So we will take you from your hometown and we will bring you to another place. We will isolate you from everything that you knew they would indoctrinate them. We're gonna teach you all about us. We're gonna assimilate them. We're gonna give you new names. You're gonna be a different person. You are gonna become Babylonian. And it would become very, very confusing. They would confuse them. And I'll be honest with you, I look at those, I look at those words. This is how the Babylonians did it 2,600 years ago, right? I look at those words and I think, I feel a lot of those things living in our world today. The pressures of our world, that are, the pressures our world applies are not that different than the Babylonian ones. Do you feel that? And here's what I mean. So I, I don't mean that, you know, there's like some big governmental conspiracy, this plan to brainwash us and to make us into something, you know, and make us Americans and be a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about. But think about the influences on our lives and the ways those things are influencing us. Think about what we watch on TV, right? Think about the things that we listen to in our headphones. Think about the things that we read in the media. Think about the things that we see from our leaders, our political leaders. Think about the things that we learn in our universities. All of those things have an effect on us, right? 
And as people of faith, as people who trust in Jesus, like Daniel, man, we could feel very isolated, right? We can feel very indoctrinated into things that are very different than what this says. We can feel very assimilated into a lifestyle that's very incongruent with the lifestyle that God wants for us, the lifestyle that says this will lead to the fullest life if you live this way. And in the end, it can leave us very confused. Daniel and his friends were godly Jews who lived 600 years before Jesus came. But in many ways, the pressures that they experienced in Babylon to become Babylonians, to leave everything that they knew was right and to become Babylonians are very similar to the pressures that we feel as Christians living in this country to be something else, to be something that God didn't design us to become. There's a very direct parallel there. I'd really encourage you, we don't have time to get more into that right now. I'd really encourage you to think through that. What are ways that our world indoctrinates us and influences us and pressures us to live a certain way that God would say, no, that's not the best way. That's not gonna lead to good things in your life. And hopefully in your grace groups, you get a chance to discuss that as well. But I want you to see how Daniel responds. Look at verse eight. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Assyria, uh, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance, appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Okay, stop there. Let's take a step back again. So Daniel has been taken captive, taken forever away from his family, from his land, from everything that he knew and loved. Hard circumstances, right? Like, let's just be honest here. He's in some tough circumstances and yet he trusts that God is still working. Again, 14, 15 year old boy, he recognizes this. He even though life is really hard, he, he's not abandoned by God, right? Even though his circumstances are tough and in this dangerous, oppressive place, he still wants to trust God. He still wants to follow God. And God does his part. Like God causes Daniel to find favor in the eyes of the leaders, right? Of this chief official, this guy named Ashpenaz, and apparently his, this guard, the guard that oversees Daniel. So these guys seem to look at Daniel's life. I think about this. They're captives. They're prisoners. And these guys look at the way that Daniel, Hananiah, his friends live, and they go, I respect you. I respect you. Even though I don't value everything you value. I respect you and I want to help you. And so instead of indulging on the foods and you know, the royal delicacies of Babylon, which by the way, would have broken the dietary laws that they had. So there's Jewish dietary laws in the Old Testament. God told the Jews, this is what you should eat. This is what's best for you to eat. These are things that you should stay away from. So he gives them these laws on ways to eat. 
the royal food would have broken those laws. And so instead of breaking those laws with respect and tact, Daniel goes to Ashpenaz and he says, listen, can I, can I only eat vegetables and just drink water, please? Here's a question. Why do you think he wanted to do that? Because he really liked vegetables? No one really likes vegetables, let's be honest, right? No one holds a clove of broccoli and bacon in the other hand and goes, man, I can't stop thinking about that broccoli. Like, that's not a thing. No one does that. He doesn't doesn't want to have vegetables and water just because he really likes vegetables. Why does he do it? Because he wants to remain faithful to God, right? He wants to hold true to his convictions, and he he wants to follow what God said. Why? Because he loves God. He doesn't want to forget him. He doesn't want to disobey him, even in a country that was pressuring him to do just that. He wanted to follow God even when there was pressure not to. Here's my question for you. How about you? How about you? Are we resolved to trust in Jesus even when there's pressure not to? Don't don't answer that too quickly. Think about that question. We We live in a country that increasingly, like we see this more and more, look at what, what we would believe, what many of us would believe in here about who God is, that he loves us, that God himself became human flesh and blood and lived and died and then came back to life, ascended into heaven, he's coming back. We live in a world that looks at that more and more and goes, that's stupid. Like you, you can't really believe that, right? Like, that sounds like a fairy tale. That sounds like something that you would see only in the movies. And, and I get, like, in Babylon, you disagree with them. You, you lead your life a different way than what they pressured you to. You had a chance to die. Daniel knew that may, by making this decision, he had a chance that he could die. Ashpenaz knew that as well. He, he could have been killed for, for Daniel doing this as well. We live in a different place where we don't have those same sort of pressures like somebody's going to kill us for having beliefs about who Jesus is. But man, we live in a place where we have all these kinds of pressures to trust in ourselves and not God, to be independent instead of dependent, to live way, the ways according to what our world says are good and right and proper as opposed to the ones that God says are right and proper? Are we resolved to trust in Jesus even when there's pressure not to? It's an important question for us. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, I have to be quick here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks because I think it's clearer in other chapters. But Daniel didn't resist everything that the Babylonians threw at him, Right? Like, he didn't just isolate himself, you know, from everything Babylonian and, like, cocoon himself off so that he wouldn't be infected by the sin of Babylon. It was only those things that Daniel concluded were sins against God that he abstained from. And when he abstained, did he jump up on his soapbox and go, no, I'm only going to eat vegetables. You guys are sinners. You're terrible people. He didn't do that. He'd get killed for sure for doing that. What does he do? Privately, he goes to the official and he says, I, I'd rather just eat vegetables. Can I just eat vegetables, right? Why do, you, why do you think he did that? Because it was sins against God. But he didn't compromise. Or he didn't do that with everything. There were so many things that Daniel said, no, okay, I'll do that. 
I'll learn the Babylonian history. I'll learn the Babylonian culture. He assimilated. He acquiesced. He participated in those things. Why? Because Daniel recognized that God had put him in this situation. Why was he in Babylon? Was he in Babylon because Babylon was so strong and they conquered Israel? No. He was in Babylon because God allowed him to be in Babylon. God was a part of all of this. And so what Daniel had to do, and this is really important for us, what Daniel had to do is he had to use discernment. What are things that he participated in and what are things that he put his foot in the ground and he said, no, I'm not going to do that, right? And guys, I think that begs a question for us as well. Are we willing to do that? Like, are we willing to use discernment on when to hold to our convictions and when to compromise? That's, a, that's an important question for us because there is so much gray in life. Man, the longer that I live, I feel this more and more. Now, there's lots of black and white too. There's things that are right. There's things that are wrong. There's things that we believe and don't believe. There's things that are true and untrue for sure. But man, there's a lot of gray too. There are a lot of things that are neither right nor wrong. They just are. They're preferences. And God has given us a lot of freedom with preferences. Was it wrong for Daniel to learn, you know, the Babylonian literature and the Babylonian heritage and all that? I don't think so. No, it's just information. It's just knowledge. And God had taken and moved him from Israel into Babylon. And so he, for, he, he compromised his Jewish heritage at that time. And he took on this, the, learned this new Babylonian heritage because it's where God had placed him. He didn't want to break a direct command from God about what to eat and what not to eat. But in other areas, he used discernment. He was like, this is okay. Guys, I think about that. And I think, man, it's the same for us too. We got to use discernment. Christians have a long, rotten history of making really big deals out of things that are not big deals. And we get really convicted about things that, you know, we should compromise on. And we compromise on things that we should really be convicted about. Here's my challenge to you. I'm not going to give you a list of, like, this is stuff that we should be convicted about, and this is stuff that we should compromise. I'm not going to give you a list, but here's what I challenge you to do. You have the same Bible I do, like we have what God says here. If we read it, it's amazing how we know what are the big deals and what aren't the big deals. And if you're a Christian, if you've said yes to Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you. If we would just go to him and say, God, would you give, before we get up on our soapbox publicly and say, you shouldn't play guitars in church. I remember hearing that when I was younger. It's sinful, it's evil. Man, if that's true, we're in trouble, right? Instead, before we get up, maybe we should just get on our knees and ask God for discernment on what's a big deal and what's not a big deal. Daniel did that. How do you, how do you think, I'll end with this, how do you think God responded to Daniel saying, all right, I'm not gonna do something that directly disobeys you. I'm gonna step out in faith and I'm gonna ask that I could only eat vegetables. How do you think God responds when Daniel chooses to do what God wants him to do? He's faithful. Look at it. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Gross, but that's what he wanted. (laughs) To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, the king himself. The king talked with them, and he found none to be equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in this whole kingdom. And it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. How how did God respond? He's faithful, right? He, he, He took care of them. Daniel and his friends had this resolve that they wanted to be committed to God, the God that they loved, and they wanted to do what he said that they should do, no matter what the cost. And how does God respond? He's faithful to them. Guys, it's the same thing for us today. Here's my last point. God always honors our trust in him and proves himself trustworthy. It's just what he does. Always, every time, without fail. Sometimes it's different than what we think it should be or what we're expecting. But God is always faithful to us. He always proves himself trustworthy to us. Go go back to Daniel and his friends. They kind of put God to the test, right? Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do what's going to be really hard. It could cost us our lives. We're going to do this. We need you, God, to provide for our needs. We need you to help us. What does God do? Well, he makes them healthy and nourished with just vegetables, right? Check. That's what God does. What does he do? He gives them favor in the eyes of those in authority. Check. What does God do? He gives them knowledge and understanding better than anybody else. Check. What does God do? Well, he gives Daniel like the ability to interpret and understand dreams and visions. I think just to show off. Like that's what God does. Check. What does he do? He makes them the top advisors to the king more than anybody else. And then think about that. That last verse feels a little out of place to me. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You're like, okay, that's interesting. Why, Why is that? Here's here's what's so interesting about that. Cyrus wasn't a Babylonian king. Cyrus was a Persian king. He was the first Persian king. And so understand what this is talking about. Daniel spent the rest of his life, likely, maybe with the exception of the last year or two, the rest of his life in Babylon. And God protected him that whole time in a tough situation. And Daniel actually outlived the Babylonian regime under God's protection. Daniel and his friends trusted God and they kind of said, God, I'm, I'm testing you. Will you be faithful to me? And God was. Here's my last question to you. Are you giving God a chance in your life to prove himself trustworthy? In your life, are you stepping out and saying, even when there's pressure not to follow God, even when there's pressure to do things I know I just I don't feel real comfortable with, I know aren't right, are you stepping out and saying, I'm gonna follow you, and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna take care of me, and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna provide for my needs. Even when nobody else does, 
even when there's pressure not to, in your life, are you giving God a chance to prove himself trustworthy? challenge you this week to consider that, to talk to him about that. I challenge you to read chapter two, maybe even reread chapter one and then read chapter two. And I challenge you to ask the Lord for discernment on what are things that we should compromise on and what are things that we should be convicted about. Let's pray.